0: Welcome to Psycho Cinematic, a podcast where we analyze depictions of mental illness and disability in popular films and TV. I'm your host, Stephanie Fornasio. give us some support make sure you're following Podcast on instagram tiktok and twitter and check out our website psychocinematicpodcast.com for access to special bonus content episodes early access stickers and contribute to our regular fundraisers join our patreon starting from $3.50 a month you can be the coolest psychocinematic listener there is I'd like to start today by acknowledging the land I'm recording this podcast on today, the Warrangeri Woiwurrung land of the Kulin Nation and pay respect to elders past, present, and future. Today is the last working day of NAIDOC Week here in Australia and across the world, which is the National Aboriginal and Islanders Day Observance Committee Week. NAIDOC Week is an annual celebration of the history, culture, and achievements of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. The theme for this year's celebration is For Our Elders. First Nations Elders who have paved the way, blazed the trail and advocated through huge adversity so that this and future generations can thrive. This fight continues as we strive for a more culturally inclusive, harmonious world. And we want to pay a huge respect and deep thanks to the Elders who lead, have led and will lead this fight and have given so many of us, First Nations people and their allies, such valuable learnings, guidance and influence. Thank you for joining us since our small hiatus. In line with paying homage, our next couple of episodes will be a tribute to a significant member of Psycho and of my life who sadly left us on the 22nd of June this year. Nick Fanasia, Psycho Cinematic's editor, my beloved brother and my son's beloved uncle, was the brilliant, beautiful man, and huge supporter of this podcast from day one. We both grew up loving movies, which for him morphed into fine art study and a flourishing career in film production. Without his passion for film, the creation of it, the dissection of it, I truly believe this podcast wouldn't have even crossed my mind. It wouldn't have led to many things, meeting my husband, who Nick befriended at uni, and therefore, of course, our beautiful son, I owe him so much, and I miss him terribly. Back in 2021, Nick guested on the podcast to talk about possibly his favourite film of all time, which also happens to be one of my favourite films, The Royal Tenenbaums. Today is a re-release of that episode, which originally was a two-parter, but has been tidied up as one whole. Even if you've already heard it, it's worth a re-listen to remember how witty, funny, intelligent and passionate he was, I loved listening back, and I'm so grateful that his banter will always be there to come back to when I need it. I hope you enjoy. Rest in peace, Nikki. Please note that this episode contains discussions of suicide. If this episode brings up anything for you, Lifeline is available 24 7 on 131114 and Beyond Blue on 1300. Double two four six three six. And today we have a brand new guest, and his name is Nick Felazia.
1: Hello, millions of Psycho Cinematic listeners. Hi.
0: So, Nick. Um, yes. People might already recognize your voice from knowing you, but uh, people might recognize your name Yeah. from being the editor of Psycho Cinematic. That's true. And you also happen to be my brother.
1: Yeah. Just a coincidence.
0: So, welcome.
1: <laughs> it is an honour to be invited onto this wonderful podcast. Thank you so much. <laughs> uh,
0: do you want to tell listeners like a little bit about your background?
1: I am a, um, I'm a 30-year-old white Caucasian male. <laughs> I hail from sunny Brisbane. I'm in the middle between Steph and Maz.
0: <laughs> middle child syndrome.
1: Neglected, yep. And I'm a video editor and I work for Brisbane City Council. Shout out to Brisbane City Council. Shout
0: out to Brisbane City Council.
1: <laughs> And I quite like my job actually, which is weird.
0: And you've been working with film and TV, mostly editing for, mm-hmm. a, for a very long time.
1: Seven years, seven years, maybe longer, maybe 10 years.
0: And because we're very incestuous here and oh, Cinematic, Yeah. He went to university with Michael Watson.
1: That's right.
0: <laughs> yeah. I went to <laughs> so uni co-host. with
1: Steph's husband, <laughs> the OG co-host. Yeah. Original and the best.
0: Well, firstly, is there anything you've been watching lately that you've enjoyed?
1: I've been thinking about this because I know that you asked your guests this question and I've been watching, um, Gordon Ramsay clips on YouTube (laughs) of, um, Hell's Kitchen and Kitchen Nightmares and watching Gordon Ramsay swear at people and yell at people
0: what are you an idiot sandwich etc yeah
1: yeah he calls people donkeys and stuff it's (laughs) so good i used to really hate him but um i've come to really love him because he cares about the food
0: should he be so aggressive though
1: (laughs) no absolutely not no he's a piece (laughs) of shit. he treats everyone like trash But it's fun to watch. Yeah. It was our host, Stephanie Fanasia's birthday yesterday. So happy birthday to Steph on the 4th of April. When this comes out, it won't be yesterday, but.
0: Thank you. I'm expecting everybody who listens to this podcast to send me a present every year on the 4th of April now that they know my birthday.
1: You'll get three extra presents a year, I think. It's exciting. (laughs)
0: I wanted you to be a co-host for a while now, and the movie that you really wanted to do was this
1: one. I'll say it now. It is The Royal Tenenbaums, Yeah. which came out in 2001, directed by Wes Anderson, written by Wes Anderson, Owen Wilson.
0: Uh, Why did you want to do this
1: one? I wanted to do a film that I knew quite well, just so I could have some authority talking about it. And it's probably, I don't want to go overboard, but like maybe my favorite film of all time. It was the first film I saw when I was a kid. I think I saw it when I was like 13 or 14 or something that uh, made me realize that there was a director behind the scenes, making everything we're seeing on screen. It was sort of his or her unique vision. And so it sort of changed my life, which sounds disgusting, but it really did. It really did. And um, it just really resonated with me. And then I was thinking about it and I sort of realized there's a lot of mental health issues in all of the characters, which I didn't realize when I was younger. So I thought it'd be a good one to pick apart. Why did you want to do this film?
0: I also loved it and resonated with it. And it was just the most interesting movie I'd seen. And I couldn't quite figure out why I liked it so much. Yeah. But I've always loved it and just watch, it's like a comfort movie. I just watch it all the time. And then the podcast, Why Are Dads, another great podcast, covered it about fatherhood. And it just was like, oh my God, I understand why this movie is so good now. Like it's all about how a dad who was a really absent father who just got what he could out of everybody around him and trying to rebuild that relationship in, in a really different way that you usually see in movies where it's not immediately obvious. Mm. But it's one of those movies where... I would say to to friends or people I met, that's my favorite movie. And they'd be like, oh, that movie was weird. I hated it.
1: Yeah. I got that a lot too. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think it's deeper than people realize it is on the surface.
1: Yeah. I think people see sort of like the symmetrical framing and the quirky costumes and the over stylized nature of it and think it's just this sort of offbeat, weird indie comedy. But it's actually, it deals with a lot of human things, a lot of issues that we can all relate to, which I think is its power.
0: Oh, beautifully (laughs) said. (laughs) The scene will always be stuck in my head of Richie Tannenbaum's uh, suicide attempt. And the Elliot Smith song playing in the background like, made me instantly fall in love with Elliot Smith's music too. So it, it impacted me in lots of different ways. And I wanted to read out this quote because it's nice to see that other people couldn't break away from that sort of image. But Luke Wilson, he's not like a super established actor. And I thought this was a really good quote, they said. Uh, the real surprise to me was Luke Wilson although there was an undercurrent of melancholy to some performances he'd given before. I was completely unprepared for the sheer magnitude of suffering and pain he brought to the part of Richie Tenenbaum. And his face. Certain titles of your films make me think of one image, and the image I think of for this film is him looking in the mirror after he shaves, just before he tries to kill himself. That's the Royal Tenenbaum's to me. That shot. And that, I agree. (laughs) It's just one of those bits in cinema history that's, it just stays with you for so long.
1: It's a very powerful scene. Very powerful. And yeah, Luke Wilson, like he's in what, Legally Blonde and this, and I think that's it.
0: (laughs) Idiocracy?
1: But yeah, he's like, what what the fuck is he in?
0: Yeah. Like, what is he doing these days? Not much. Yeah. I don't know.
1: I wish the best for him.
0: The movie centers around the Tenenbaum family. There's the matriarch Etheline, played by Angelica Houston, a loving, intelligent, long-suffering mother and archaeologist, and a husband Royal, played by Jean Hackman, a ruthless litigator who eventually is disbarred. They separate when their quote-unquote genius children are quite young. The business-savvy and driven Chaz, played by Ben Stiller, the quiet, shy tennis prodigy, Richie, played by Luke Wilson, who is the only one Royal paid much attention to, and adopted daughter Margot, Gwyneth Paltrow, a secretive and morose chain smoking playwright. In their adult life, they're all in various states of depression and despair after various breakdowns. For example, Chaz's wife is killed in an accident. Richie breaks down on the court of one of his games after finding out his adopted sister, who he's in love with, is married to Bill Murray, who plays a neurologist Raleigh St. Clair. And Margot is stuck in a loveless marriage. She's bawling Eli Cash, (laughs) who is played by Owen Wilson, Richie's childhood friend. And Margot hasn't written a play in years. So they're they're all having a pretty rough time. After having not heard from Royal for 10 years, he finds himself broke and kicked out of his hotel. So Royal tries to get somewhere to live and win back his ex-wife, who's now engaged to Henry Sherman, played by Danny Glover. Royal pretends that he's dying of stomach cancer to try and get in with them and manages to lie himself into moving into the old house where the kids have also recently moved back to. He then starts to win back the kids and attempt to right some wrongs but also try and get Henry out of the picture and get back with Etheline. He starts bonding with Chaz's kids who he hadn't met before. Eventually he's found out and kicked out. Richie and Raleigh uncover Margot's affair with Eli amongst her extensive lovers list which leads to Richie trying to take his life. This act brings the family together, and he and Margot confess their love but agree they cannot be together. Royal tries to repair his wrongs again and do what he can to help the family out. He grants Ethelene a divorce, and she goes on to marry Henry Sherman. But unfortunately, the ceremony is thwarted by Eli driving his car into the front of the house. After a chase from Chaz, because he almost kills his sons in the process, they both realise they need help, and Royal somewhat repairs things with Chaz. It seems they've all reconnected and have their lives getting somewhat back on track. Royal dies of a heart attack a few years later, and the funeral, it is agreed, was most satisfactory.
1: Good summary.
0: Imagine, though, that Alec Baldwin said all that.
1: And you have the movie. What a voice. I don't think it would be half as good without that sexy, sultry Alec know. Baldwin draw. Love it. It's
0: a shame that Alex's got a few problems because I, I love him. Yeah,
1: yeah. He's on the verge of being
0: <laughs> yeah, cancelled. Be
1: but um hopefully he pulls himself back together. Just I was just thinking, um, you reading out that summary, it sounds like the most depressing fucking movie <laughs> in the world. Like stomach cancer, depression, know. suicide. But it's like yeah. a, It's a joy.
0: Uh, Yeah. And I think that's why Wes Anderson is so good. Like, most of his movies have really shit things happen in them. Like, Mm. you know, I love the Darjeeling Limited, and then you kind of forget that halfway through the movie, a boy drowns and they have to go to his funeral. Yeah,
1: exactly, yeah.
0: But when I think back on that movie, I think of it as being – beautiful and
1: yeah this romp on a train and like the sights of India and stuff but it's about their dad dying and they're like their
0: journey of bonding as brothers and
1: they're like swapping pills and drinking weird concoctions and stuff (laughs) and
0: yeah he just takes quite serious stuff and makes it kind of twee and whimsical but not in a way that makes it disgusting in a way that makes it relatable but also uh you, you get taken on a journey magical journey
1: yeah I think you get sucked in by this sort of I hate the word offbeat but it's yeah offbeat sort of quirky 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 <laughs> vibe of the film and then he shoves these sort of really adult themes underneath and you don't even realize that's what the movie's about until it's over and then you're like oh that was about depression and suicide and yeah parents dying and all this sort of other stuff so I think that's one of his strengths for sure
0: and without trying to be like we obviously love this movie I think that's the perfect way to deal with themes unless you want to make it super realistic like a biopic because that's what kind of imprints like obviously this movie imprinted us as teenagers and I think it's the ones that suck you in but then are secretly about other things that influence you the most I think so should we go to our criteria to analyse.
1: Yes, let's do it.
0: I'll start with Wes. It looks like he was inspired to make this film from his parents' divorce. Um, His mum was also an archaeologist, but the trajectory of their divorce was nothing like what happens in this movie in the end. But he quotes a lot of various movies and stories that I've not heard of that inspired him, and one is The Magnificent Ambersons by Orson Welles.
1: You haven't seen?
0: No. Have you seen it?
1: No, I haven't seen it. I watched a clip on YouTube today, but um, <laughs> that's the extent.
0: And yeah, there's like that family in decline, like failure, faded glory, and I mean, Royal Tenenbaums, Magnificent list it's a bit of a ripoff, it sounds
1: yeah, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can see the parallels there for sure. So yeah, I read similar that the divorce um, of his parents when he was about eight, which I think is the same age as the characters in the movie when oh. they're... Parents of, like, you know, similar that time in their lives. Um, I think Owen Wilson sort of said you should write a film about this, is what I read, I think. But then as he wrote it, the story developed and the character of Royal got further and further away from what his father was really like. But that was definitely the jumping-off point. So, yeah, he is a child of divorce, so he sort of went through that. And I don't see Wes Anderson's dad being as big of a prick as Royal ten Well,
0: you'd hope not, because I'm sure his dad's watching it going, yeah. oh, is that what you think of me? Oh, Yeah.
1: I'm a piece of shit. (laughs) Some critics noted that in his films, he has a preoccupation with father figures. Mm -hmm. Um, So like Steve Zissou, um, Rushmore, and he told New York mag about his father figures. I finally realized the father figures in his films are just the opposite of what I really grew up with. Mm -hmm. And for me, there's something exotic about it. I'm drawn to those father figure characters that are larger than life people. And I've sought out mentors who are like that. So I relate to them, but they're not my father.
0: To I don't know anything about his siblings. Like, does he have a brother or a sister?
1: Oh, he's got a brother.
0: Oh, yeah. Eric Chase Anderson, of course.
1: His brother, yeah, because he does all the sort of illustrations, doesn't he?
0: Yeah, yeah. And he's got an older brother as well. Oh, does he? He's a physician.
1: So, yeah, he's, uh, he's part of a family. So, that's his lived experience.
0: And it's funny, I was reading that he sought out a lot of actor's in the movie who have, like, successful families and a successful past. So, like, Gwyneth Paltrow's mum is Blythe Danner and Angelica Houston is from the Houston family. Don't tell me who's in that. And then Ben Stiller is Jerry Stiller's and Anne Mirrors. Like, there's so much influence in their like families and then you know it's kind of about that famous family and being sort of revered yeah he said like not necessarily part of the plan but it was like what drew him to those actors was that kind of background
1: and you could assume probably what drew the actors to the story as well being a part of those very influential intellectual kind of successful mm-hmm. families the actors were probably like oh yeah I can I can play this can
0: draw on some things yeah I know this I looked up a bit of the actors as well I think you did as well
1: yeah, yeah, I got a bit about Gene, yeah. So this one isn't sort of about lived experience with mental illness, but I guess relating to the character. Um, this is from ScreenRant.com, and no citations at all in the article. It was like 10 behind-the-scenes facts about the Royal Tenenbaums. So, in interviews, um, he said that the, the script that he received, I think um, Wes Anderson wrote Royal with Gene Hackman, Um, in mind. Yeah, I did read
0: that too. And
1: apparently he was a piece of shit on set. He was like awful to deal with. It's a bit of goss. Um, The script (laughs) made him realise that he'd been cold and insensitive towards his own family in the past much like Royal Tenenbaum and he worried that his family would be uncomfortable with him playing the character but he asked his family if he should um, do the role and they said he should take it. So I guess, you know, there are parallels between uh, Royal's behaviour and Gene Hackman having the insight to realise that, oh, I've been a bit of a shitty dad too, which is, you know, Credit to Gene.
0: Maybe he learned from the script. Yeah, exactly. Maybe be less shit.
1: And then he quit acting. So I don't know what that says.
0: Oh, I didn't know he quit acting after.
1: <laughs> yeah, he done.
0: I wonder if he'll be me too, for some reason.
1: <laughs> Let's hope so.
0: <laughs> Gwyneth has been very public about having a diagnosis of postpartum depression probably after fact, like she had it after the birth of her second baby in 2006.
1: And the movie came out in 2001, Steph, so...
0: I know, but you know... Come on. There are some risk factors that are... Yeah. You know, she might have some had some predisposition to anxiety of and course. depression, of or course. maybe it was just being married to Chris Martin from Coldplay, who knows? Yeah. But she is very public about how I had postpartum depression, but I didn't want to have medications although you can have medication it's fine but i chose alternative therapies and they worked and i feel like i could do it without um medication which is not a good message thank you very much very very rich person who mm. can access mm-hmm. alternative therapies at the drop of a, a hat yeah
1: um didn't she say like she slept a bunch
0: yeah she said like sleep i'm like i'm sorry but when you're a mum unless you have like lots of nannies you just can't catch up on sleep. So good for you, Gwyneth. You are able to sleep. Yeah,
1: go, Gwynnie.
0: Yeah, but like her goop. Goop. She like her credibility is kind of shit now. So. Yeah,
1: she's really fucked up her brand. Um, but yeah, Goop is uh, Goop is awful.
0: Yeah, I don't want. I don't want a vagina scented candle.
1: And I looked it up, and it cost seventy five US dollars a candle plus delivery.
0: I would not spend that much on any candle.
1: Yeah, let alone, well, I'm kind of interested to sort of, you know, know <laughs> what, what Gwyneth's vagina, smells, vagina like. smells like. I'm only human. <laughs> um, and she was advocating steaming a vagina and using, I remember reading an article about colloidal silver to like fight off germs, but it turns you blue.
0: Isn't that like kind of toxic? But- <laughs> yeah,
1: Apparently the the particles stay in your body and then react to something and that turns you blue. There's a guy in Dr. Phil who's blue. Um, So do not use colloidal silver. Don't listen to Gwyneth.
0: Owen Wilson has a very public history of trying to be private about it. Substance abuse.
1: I like that phrasing. Public history of trying to be private.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You tell me about Owen because you saw
1: him. Oh yeah, I met Owen.
0: You met him?
1: I was in LA. At, like a, a, like, a sandwich joint. And who should be there but Ole Wilson with a mate? Was he
0: saying, wow? Wow,
1: well, yeah, that's all he was saying. It was really... <laughs> it was kind of off-putting a little bit. Um, so, he did a couple of little walk-bys, and we were like, that's fucking Ole Wilson. And then, I think he left, and then we left. We were in a, a high car. Then, who... Like, is in front of us, but Owen Wilson on a bike. So, we um, just sort of followed Owen Wilson driving around, like, Venice Beach streets for, like, 20 <laughs> minutes. Just slowly driving behind
0: him. <laughs> That's kind of creepy. Yeah, very
1: creepy. But, um, yeah, so about six years after the film came out, he attempted suicide. This is all sort of by like US weekly reports and like friends of friends and stuff like that. Because he is quite private and hasn't really spoken about it. Fair enough.
0: But he did give a public statement to just like let him chill kind of thing. To
1: TMZ, the most reputable outlet. But yeah, apparently he was severely addicted to heroin and cocaine for months leading up to his um, suicide attempt. And of course that parallels Eli's... Substance abuse and Richie's suicide attempt. So, that's definitely... I mean, this happened after the film came out, like, you know, a while after. But it's fair to assume that there were probably those sort of substance abuse issues throughout his life, I'm assuming. I don't want to assume, but, you know, look at him.
0: And, like, he co-wrote the screenplay. So, maybe they were straight from his head, from the top of his dome. And Luke's part, Luke Wilson's part, Richie Tannenbaum, was written for Luke, apparently, I don't know if it was specifically from Wes or from Owen. And, like, you don't really hear much about Luke Wilson, sort of, whether he's got mental health issues or addiction, but I think because Owen probably overshadows him anyway, people would maybe care more (laughs) if Owen wasn't his brother. But I did read in an interview with Wes that there were a few things at play when writing the part for Luke. One is that he's always had some people that were his followers. When he got sent to boarding school, he was saying that no one there liked him and his father went to visit him. And then when his father got there, Luke was just being elected one of the prefects and he saw that Luke was one of the most popular kids in school and he was kind of a hero, but Luke didn't feel that way. Like he didn't want to be there. He was sad and he was homesick and he's very charismatic, but he doesn't wear his heart on his sleeve. And the interviewer was like, he's like a ghost in this movie and like a ghost in his own life. And I think maybe Luke feels that way, given that little tidbit. I don't know. Yeah. That's all I could find on him, though.
1: But he's so good in that. Luke Wilson's so good. He needs more shit.
0: I know. Why isn't he in? And I guess having a brother like Owen Wilson means maybe you you have the dregs.
1: Yeah, probably. Okay. Yeah. He overshadows everything. But I think seeing this movie was the first time I saw both of them probably on screen and mm. like not knowing how big Owen Wilson was going to be. And I was like, Luke Wilson is like the star for sure. Oh uh, yeah. He's, like more attractive.
0: That's true. He's
1: a better actor. He's got a much better part in the movie. He's so sympathetic. I thought he would have this like huge career, but he hasn't so.
0: I remember thinking that too, like Owen Wilson, not a good looking guy, No. Luke Wilson, hello let's not go too deep into the DSM and just sort of talk about what we think each character sort of has, because there's a lot.
1: There's a lot of characters in this fucking movie.
0: And they've all got problems. (laughs) And I I guess I also want to talk about the family dynamic and how accurate the sort of outcomes in the film would be. So let's start with Royal.
1: Yeah, let's get the big one out of the way, because he is a piece of work.
0: And when we were collaborating with, like, Notes, I wrote, um, personality disorder, maybe narcissistic tendencies. Yeah. And then you went ahead and was like, yeah. And so yeah. <laughs> writing all about narcissistic personality disorder. I was like, well, um, wow. don't have to do any work here.
1: Well, like I, I was like, he's quite narcissistic. And is there a narcissistic personality disorder? And I Googled it and there was, and it <laughs> seemed to, uh, he's ticks all the boxes for, to some extent. Like, according to the reliable resource wikipedia.com or .org, is a mental condition in which people have an inflated sense of their own importance, a deep need for excessive attention and admiration, troubled relationships, and a lack of empathy for others. And Royal pretty much ticks all those boxes, I think.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: he. hmm has a massive inflated sense of his own importance. Everything is about him. Fuck yeah. He loves attention. He wants admiration. I'll get into a couple of examples in a bit. Troubled relationships, like, for sure. His whole family hates him, basically. (laughs) And he definitely has a lack of... We can't really see anyone else's sort of point of view, I think. So, like, what do you reckon? Do you think he has NPD?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah? Okay, yeah, yeah. I don't know how
1: severe you have to be for it, but yeah.
0: Like, even, like, he's a pathological liar and manipulates people to get what he wants. Like, he will do whatever it takes as a means to the end. And like, even when he separates from ethylene, and they're like, is it, was it our fault? Any parent would be like, of course not. Except him. He's like, well, I mean, obviously we made some sacrifices as a result of having children. Yeah. <laughs> like he's just, he doesn't have enough empathy to think maybe I, I shouldn't say that to my kids.
1: Yeah. When I was watching yesterday, I was like, that's the actual first proper joke of the film. Yeah. And it's really funny, but it's also quite devastating. Like to hear that as a kid, that alone would fuck you up.
0: I know. For life.
1: Like, it's such an awful thing to say. And,
0: and they're like, well, why does she want you to leave? And it's like, I don't know. Like, I can see why.
1: <laughs> yeah. I just don't know anymore. And like, Pagoda brings out a martini and he's like, everything's about him and he has no empathy. doesn't know how to deal with his kids at all. Yeah. He's a piece of shit.
0: And just when you said that last thing, like, it's all about him, like, even when he gets found out that he doesn't have cancer... He's like, but isn't that great? I'm going to live. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, he can't even see the hurt that that yeah. caused everybody. He can only see it as like, hey, I'm going to be sticking around. Aren't you happy about that?
1: Yeah, uh, royal to a T. Fucking classic royal.
0: And what were some other examples?
1: So when Pagoda informs him that Henry Sherman has proposed to Ethel, um, he says to Pagoda, "Lord knows, I've had my shame of infidelities, but she's still my wife. Damn it, or whatever." Mm-hmm. And like, he's allowed to have infidelities and cheat. But she, not having spoken to her for seven years and then, you know, effectively being broken up, she can't have a relationship with one other man. It's all about how it affects him narcissistic.
0: Exactly. And it's that sense of entitlement. Uh, I'm entitled to, even though I actually don't really want to have anything to do with you. I just don't want you to be with that person.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's not almost about love. It's just sort of about a bit of power, a bit of ownership Exactly, and feeling good about himself, like status sort of thing.
0: Oh yeah. That's also just toxic man behavior too.
1: Yeah. Fuck man. Jesus Christ. When I watched this when I was younger, I didn't sort of grasp all these bits of how shitty a dad he was and how narcissistic he was. One of the most hurtful things upon rewatching it was when, um, they're talking about Richie's Wimbledon meltdown, mm-hmm. which is probably one of the worst moments of Richie's life. Like he's throwing his, you know, huge match at Wimbledon because the woman he loves, his sister, but whatever, um, is about <laughs> to marry Bill Murray. And they're talking about this in the current day. And Royal says, I had a lot riding on that match, you know, professionally and personally. And once again, it's a situation that his son is going through.
0: Exactly. But
1: he's turning it about something that affects him. Like, he had a lot riding on this match. And then he disappeared after that event and, like, wasn't seen for a while. It's all about how it affects him.
0: Yeah. And he didn't even... It was like, are you okay, Richie? Like, But it's not because... He actually cares. It's because he's disappointed with the money he lost.
1: <laughs> yeah. The, the tone is like, what what was up? What was the deal? Yeah. Like a normal, you know, your typical parent would be like, are you okay? What's going on? I need to see if my son's okay. What's happened? This isn't right. Um, but it's all about how it affects him. And he's obviously he can't deal with the failure of his son. So he absconds. Yeah. And a little one... Mm. Is just a little throwaway gag that's funny. Um, When they're at the graveyard, Hmm. Um, Richie and Royal are looking at a gravestone with a really impressive epitaph for for an old man who died like went to war, saved a bunch of lives, or whatever.
0: Just gunned down.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he goes, hell of a damn grave wish it were mine. And even looking at just a random person's grave, he's thinking, you know, I want to have a gravestone that impresses random people who walk past. Like it's all about how he looks to other people.
0: And I know at the end of the movie, he's redeemed kind of, but he gets that. He gets He doesn't that. work for it. <laughs> he doesn't want to work for these things. He just wants them because he thinks he's entitled to them.
1: It's a complete lie, but it's sort of this like cheeky little wink, wink, like he's a better man, but also he's still a bit of a shit.
0: Yeah. He's still kind of a son of a
1: bitch. He's narcissistic and he's very manipulative. He lies constantly.
0: And he, he doesn't just like want his kids to do what helps him. He will take money from his kids to help himself. Like he was stealing bonds out of the de-
1: yeah. Taz's deposit box. Which is awful, but it's like, <laughs> haha, so funny, but it's awful.
0: And his response is to laugh. I <laughs> love his laugh.
1: It's so good. It's perfect acting. It's perfect.
0: I'm glad he took the role because I can't imagine anyone else doing
1: it. No, he does such a good job. I think at first it's about just having a place to stay. It's not really about the kids loving him.
0: No, I don't think initially he had anything to do with that.
1: And like gradually he comes to realise that he actually really values the love of his children, but it's, um, mm-hmm. at the start, it's just sort of more about just saving his skin a bit. Um, and so mm-hmm. he manipulates everyone around him, which is terrible.
0: And on that note too, because we're talking about accuracy, with narcissistic personality disorder, it's usually pretty difficult to shift. Like they're so ingrained, those tendencies, those, mm-hmm. those characteristics that's why they call it a personality disorder. It's not something that's in flux and it's pretty much lifelong. It would be very, very difficult for a man like Royal to just suddenly realize the value of his family. Yeah. I mean, it did take his son um, almost dying by his own hand to do that, mm. but still.
1: <laughs> yeah. It doesn't happen that quickly or that. People
0: as narcissistic at him would still be the same. Yeah. So, That's maybe a little bit inaccurate.
1: (laughs) I mean, it's like, yeah, that's that's movie magic. That's script writing. You have to have change in a character. Well,
0: it'd be a very boring movie if there's no change. Yeah,
1: but it it does seem a little bit um, unrealistic. And I I was reading that medication's not recommended for narcissistic personality disorder.
0: So they often need lifelong therapy, pretty
1: much. Intensive therapy. Yeah. That's a lot of the sol- solution to a lot of these films is just like, just get some therapy, guys. Just get therapy. Just go to therapy. So, on paper, Royal sounds like an awful character, an extremely unlikable dad. I think it would
0: be very fun to play him, though.
1: Absolutely. I was going to say, Gene Hackman you really root for him because he just mm. has this massive amount of charisma and charm
0: which is also common with narcissistic personality disorder true
1: mm-hmm. true there you go very manipulative but even when he's just talking with pagoda and saying like let's shag ass or whatever <laughs> like you know he's just so likable and lovable and you find yourself rooting for him like you want him to succeed and get his family back even though he's a fairly awful human mm. um and i think that's testament to good casting go
0: talk about Chaz. Um, Chaz. I think it's pretty clear he's going through pretty severe grief in this mm. movie um, but he is dealing with his grief by trying to control the life around him and he's obviously you know, lost his wife and it pretty sounds like quite horrific accident mm. so his natural response would be try to keep his family as safe as possible which makes sense but it becomes quite an obsession and you can see he's constantly anxious like even when they uh going to sleep in the Tenenbaum house. He's like, okay, good night. Actually, no, I'll I'll sleep with you. Like he doesn't even want to leave them in the room in a house that they don't yeah. isn't their house. But yeah, he's it's almost stopping him from relating to anyone, how obsessed and, and mm. controlling he is. Like he doesn't really seem to be connecting with his kids. They're just kind of going along with what Dad's demanding from them. I do like that when he goes into the boys' room and and gets sleeping bag and sleeps on the ground with them. That I think the younger one can't remember if it's Ari or Uzi. Yeah, the me, same. I
1: never, I never know. Yeah. <laughs> Coolest names ever.
0: The younger one climbs down off the bunk bed and and lies in the same position next to Dad. Yeah, like imitates his position. He still idolizes and looks up to Dad. Yeah, and yeah. tries to please, which is kind of the danger.
1: Oh, true. And
0: Royal even says like it, it can backfire. Like mm. your your kids, no matter how how they might try not to tend to sort of become very much like you or reject you, um, depending on what happens.
1: Yeah, that's what Royal says, like, I don't want this to happen to you. I don't want to this you. to
0: happen to you, yeah. Um, even though Royal's fun to talk, he can see it playing out in how Chaz is being too controlling over his kids.
1: Yeah, Royal has little moments of insight into his children, like it's a piece of shit, but he does have some bits of insight into it. used
0: to be a genius. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like, you know, Chaz, I guess because he's already in that heightened state of anxiety, can see that Royal's not to be trusted. But he he, he can't manage his emotions ap- appropriately as well. Like when Eli always kills the kids. Fair enough. Yeah. But, you know, his response is to completely trash the house, chasing him and trying to attack him. So...
1: His kids did nearly get run over. But it's supposed to be the catalyst moment where he realises that he is not he addressing Isn't Yeah, he needs help. Yeah. Both say Yeah. Is there any element of Chaz that makes you think that he is possibly on the spectrum of, like, Asperges or anything like that.
0: That could be argued for sure. Like, he wears the same suit every day. Yeah,
1: but so does every character.
0: <laughs> he stands up at the desk with a cup of coffee to save time. <laughs> and, yeah, he's very aloof and not very social. He's very distant from everybody else. But we only meet adult Chaz after he's going through intense mm. grief. So I don't yep. know if he could really know what he's like outside of that experience. I won't read out much, but there was a a whole article on the relationship between Chaz and Royal and, like, saying that it's kind of a background relationship, but it's actually a very important one in that, like, he's locked his kids away from the world and then it's Royal who sort of helps bring them out again. And, you know, he kind of... That's how... The catalyst for Chaz to see he needs to change as well. Mm. So, you know, even that one relationship storyline is... I I find that really
1: powerful. It's a really well-written fucking movie. Can I ask you a question? Chaz seems to be struggling a lot with the, the plane crash and the wife dying, but the kids seem actually fairly okay. True. Is that common for... I mean, of course, adults and kids um, process things differently. But in your experience, is that sort of a common thing? Like the parents freak out a bit and overanalyze stuff, and the kids are obviously they have problems, but they seem still quite well-adjusted, sort of cute, sweet little
0: kids. I don't, I don't know if they're the most well-adjusted because they do seem kind of aloof, like their dad is at times. Yeah. But yeah, that can be quite common. Like kids are actually extremely resilient, and in the face of like a disaster, they will react as a kid would react but like their processing might be different from us as adults as in it it takes a long time to process that it kind of having the buffer of support around them and the same routine every day can also just help with that processing that grief and trauma and i'm always really impressed and surprised by kids who have gone through real awful shit and they just carry on that's a long answer to your question no beautiful answer
1: (laughs) beautiful
0: Margot is very depressed, I think we can all say. Ain't she? And she experiences very textbook, you know, isolating herself from the world. As uh, Etheline says, sitting in the bathroom all day, watching TV, soaking in the tub.
1: Soaking in the tub. I love the way she says tub. So cute.
0: You know, you can tell there's the dark makeup and deadpan monotone voice she's obviously very depressed
1: riley comes in and says you have to eat something you know she says no i'm
0: fine thank you yeah and even just the way like when he's coming in and she's trying to hide her smoking it's like a whole routine that you can tell she does mm. all the time like yeah she's done her for her 20 life.
1: years yeah and it's like bullshit. like he'd be able to smell the cigarette smoke even from like the closed door
0: but he didn't know
1: <laughs> yeah he's a blue vessel idiot
0: <laughs> like like i feel like she's probably the most caricature a depiction of a depressed person. Like yeah. I always thought when I, when I watched the movie the first time, I thought, oh, why is she so sad? She's so stupid. But then when you do hear about like her backstory a little bit, being adopted and trying to find her biological parents, which is like a weird situation.
1: Yeah, getting her finger um, chopped getting off. Getting a
0: finger chopped off. I still find it funny.
1: It's really about. funny.
0: She just her face is just like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and then you know she's had lots of marriages and dalliances with dudes, and she's obviously not happy in a marriage.
1: She probably get a sense she gets a sense that Richie is in love with her. She probably has feelings for him. It's complicated.
0: Yeah. I probably feel sad too. <laughs> yeah. And she also kinda of has that weird double edged sword of where she seems like she's she talks like she has this sense of superiority, like she really belittles Eli.
1: She does. <laughs> or like
0: sending his clippings to Ethelene and wanting to be part of the family.
1: But that is weird as fuck.
0: It is weird. But she loves to put him down and be like, you're not a genius. But also like her self-esteem is pretty low. You know, she's having writer's block or whatever and doesn't believe she used to be a genius. And, like when I was just looking over these notes before, I was like, she probably would qualify for borderline personality disorder or
1: really some
0: sort of personality disorder because of where she's come from with her background yeah she's been abandoned by a birth family yeah she's very aloof her repeated like relationships with people Mm -hmm. and it's almost like feeling empty is often a symptom of Borderline,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and using relationships or sex to feel
1: fulfilled. Yeah, yep.
0: fulfilled. Also, trying to develop attachments with people, and and it being very intense and then fleeting.
1: Yeah, didn't even think of that.
0: And just like her secretive nature, like she's. She's almost quite manipulative herself and not wanting.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, she is um, a little bit manipulative, um, like Royal in, in a way. She is a bit of a lie. She's on the phone to Eli all the time. You see her sort of sneaking away mm-hmm. um, on the phone. She sort of strings uh, Raleigh along while she's sort of cheating on him. So, yeah, she's quite manipulative, really. Yeah.
0: And she'll just lie with the evidence right there. Like, you drop some cigarettes. They're not mine. They're, they're not they're mine, not my,
1: yeah. <laughs> I never understood that scene as a kid. I was like, where did they come from? I was so dumb. <laughs> but clearly they fell out of her fucking pocket. You
0: believed her. <laughs> I
1: believed her. She was so convincing. Oh,
0: if you dated Margot, she would have...
1: She would have chewed me up and the spat me out. <laughs> she bloody would have. Speaking of the smoking...
0: Yeah, I was curious about... The smoking and why she hides it. Why do you think?
1: Well, look, I was doing some research and I came upon this 145 page thesis <laughs> called, which I did not read. I read about this paragraph I'm about to read out. This doesn't really talk about why she smokes, but it's, it's interesting. Um, it says, the cigarette has long been thought of as a symbol of the phallus in media representations. Margot's owning of the phallus at the age of 12 could portray her as the owner of her own identity. That she won't allow others to decide her fate. And then it goes on just to sort of negate that a little bit. But that's probably actually a little bit true. Like, I feel like it's a sign yeah. of, you know, rebelliousness, um, having her own thing, private from other people. That's sort of her personality. Yeah. Um, yeah I don't think sad. Wes Anderson was writing her smoking a cigarette as her sort of smoking a penis. So I don't. As,
0: as you said, you never know. There's nothing that's accidental with Wes Anderson movies.
1: That's true. That's true.
0: And. She does like to have some sex, so maybe <laughs> maybe that was exactly what he meant.
1: Maybe. Um, I just like saying phallus. That's a funny word to say.
0: It kind of makes sense that you know, it's something that's so not accepted and she does it so young and just secretive the whole time. It's like something that she owns that no one else can take away from.
1: It's a little vict- a little bit of ownership that she has over something. Richie like when I was just thinking about it um this popped into my head that he is if there is a main character it's probably Richie I mean it's an ensemble piece and then I read an interview with Wes where he says he's the the heart of the film like the emotional center of the film and I think that comes across
0: like even in the um the title scene where you see them all in the mirror getting ready for the day he's the last one and then he takes a photo and then the music stops it's like It's my, it's my movie.
1: (laughs) And weirdly, this is a bit of a tangent, but when uh, Luke Wilson heard Wes say that Richie was the heart of the film, Luke was a bit confused because he didn't think he had that big of a role in the movie. Mm. I think he sort of thought it was more sort of split quite evenly, but...
0: Maybe he just read the lines... And thought, I don't have that many lines.
1: Yeah. What is this shit? Not
0: realizing that you don't say much, but you convey a lot.
1: (laughs) Yeah. He does convey a lot with his shaggy hair. So he's obviously, he is depression. He's depressed. Mm -hmm. Um, He even says that in a letter that he writes to Eli. Like he hasn't been out of his room in four days. Never um,
0: felt so lonely, so lonely in my
1: life. life. And I think I'm in love with Margot. And he's, you know, it's a metaphor. He's like on a cruise line, ass floating aimlessly, through mm-hmm. like, you know, around the world. Adrift, you mm-hmm. might say. He's adrift, um, metaphorically and physically.
0: You know what? I might say that if anything is on the nose in this film, that might be considered on the nose. Just a little bit.
1: What, the metaphor of him floating <laughs> through the ocean? Being adrift,
0: yeah. Being adrift.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Not as on the nose as the fucking luggage in Darjeeling, like actual baggage, it's emotional baggage.
0: That they just can't leave behind. Oh my yeah, God. Yeah,
1: At the end, they throw it away from hop on the train. I didn't <gasps> oh, actually God. realize that until I read a um, review of it, which said that was I didn't obvious. realize that
0: until you just said it.
1: Well, I didn't come up with it, so I can't take the credit, but it's, when you think about it, it's like, oh yeah, quite obvious. So his depression, well, like the main thing is that he is in love with Margot and he's mm-hmm. probably quite confused about that because mm-hmm. um, she is his sister, adopted, not biological, but it's a complex situation.
0: It's like something he can't have and he con- constantly tries to, like, justify why he wants it by saying, adopt
1: it, adopt it. Adopt it, yeah. He's sort of always throwing that out there. So everyone's, sort of yeah. it and everyone's a bit like, mm. um, yeah, like he tries to escape from, those feelings, obviously, and then sort of the reality of it by becoming a wandering nomad. Is that the right term? Um, Exploring the oceans. And I think from experience, (laughs) the more you suppress these emotions, the sort of worse it becomes. And that's what he says, like when he's making out with it, he's like, I tried to go away to get away from you, but it just got worse. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's obviously bubbling in his mind. Like, is he just depressed because he's in love with Margot? He was, like, treated like royalty by royal, so he, he's got no daddy issues.
0: But Even if you're treated by royalty by a narcissistic parent, you can still have daddy issues.
1: No. Yes, yeah. you
0: can. Mr. Golden Child, Nicholas Finesse. <laughs> 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 well, I mean, he's, he's always... He and Margot were, like, pretty close as kids too, so... Mm child Richie seemed like a bit of a dweeb, let's be honest. Yeah.
1: He's got <laughs> such a dweeby face, his little smile. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And knowing like he seems quite quiet and uh, and sort of inhibited,
1: reserved Yeah. as
0: an adult. So she may maybe brought out some of that in, you know, his personality out to him. So You know, he might already have a bit of a depressed disposition. And I think given that they were so happy together as kids, maybe he thinks like Margot will fix me.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. As well.
0: Like she's the missing piece, which you know what? The missing piece is in yourself.
1: That's it. It's in all of us, (laughs) isn't it? It is. But like, like we see him painting portraits of her. You know, like mm. numerous portraits of her when they're eight, 10 years old or whatever. And that's mm. like alarm bells for the mum. Like, you know, oh, I think my son's a bit infatuated with my daughter. Um, mm-hmm. But do you think it borders on obsession or a little bit? It's like, I think it's it's a bit unhealthy.
0: I think so. Like the fact that. You tell me. When Raleigh says, I think she's having an affair and he smashes his hands through yeah. a window. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> tells you maybe he's a bit obsessed. Um
1: and he like reads her her play when he comes back to the house on the rooftop like I'm sure he's read that play like a million fucking times. It's like Ooh, a bit much mate.
0: It's a bit creepy. Uh, you know, the fact that he has to be in the middle of the ocean to to get away from his feelings like that's a bit
1: a bit extreme. But we've all been there, haven't we?
0: It doesn't seem like someone who's been in many relationships. So, maybe it's, it is just infatuation rather than actual sustaining love. Yeah. Because I think he sort of manic pixie dream girls her.
1: Mm. She is not a manic pixie dream girl, but he manic pixie dream girls yeah. her. Yeah,
0: I feel like he thinks she's going to solve all these problems yeah. he, if he can have her, because the problem is he can't. Um, but she kind and of she, does. Well, no, they don't get together. But
1: at the funeral bit, they're like arm in arm. So, I always assume yeah, that they... Just
0: Friends. They're, just they're, just friends.
1: Just, they're just friends. Friends first, siblings second, lovers <laughs> third.
0: No, I, I interpreted like her like I think we're just gonna have to be secretly in, in love with each other as they'll be close, but
1: They'll fucking secret. Maybe. <laughs> I thought that was just, you know, similar to the way when he says I'm gonna kill cool myself tomorrow and then sort of does it immediately. She's it's something that she says, but then the reality of the situation gets in the way and they sort of, I just always saw them standing next to each other sort of quite close and intimate at the funeral scene, just sort of showing that, you know, they kind of did hook up, but maybe, no, I don't (laughs) think, it doesn't even matter really, does it? It's sort of not really important. Yeah.
0: No, I guess not. Like, I think he probably puts her on a pedestal, but when he finds out she's got, you know, quite a colourful past, Mm. as you are led to believe in the film, he can't handle it and then wants to end his life like, She's not the The
1: perfect
0: person that he thought she was. Yeah. And I guess he's the one character who does uh, try to kill himself that very powerful scene.
1: Beautiful scene, isn't Um, it?
0: I actually couldn't rewatch it because (gasps) Casper was in the room and I was like, "Mm, nah,
1: give him his first (laughs) chocolate and show him his first suicide on the same
0: day. (laughs) On the same
1: day. (laughs) What a day for Casper.
0: Yeah. So he does try to end his life, which is, you know, we see it quite brutally and I, it just changes the whole film. Like it's, it's like a pre and post Richie suicide film.
1: Yeah, it is. Yeah. Things change from that point for sure. Sure.
0: and i guess you see that catharsis of him becoming really vulnerable and shaving his head and cutting off his beard and then
1: like removing those layers
0: and then after the attempt when he's vulnerable with Margot and opens up to her he kind of goes back to wearing the sweat the sweatband and the outfit like the original richie i feel like he has gone through a journey where he's like he has faced his his feelings
1: you can tell from the acting from luke wilson it Something definitely seems to have changed in the sort of the way he speaks. Like he seems sort of like he's holding something back in the first half of the film. Yeah, he's like sort hiding himself. Hiding something. Himself, yeah. And now he's sort of vulnerable and open and he seems still quite sad Yeah, um, and depressed, but it just feels more authentic or something. I don't know. Do you get that sense?
0: He's He's exposed himself and now he's kind of getting comfortable with this more exposed self. Which I think is good because it's not like I hit rock bottom and then, oh, I'm better now and I'm a new person. Mm. It's like, I'm not a new person but I'm I'm a bit more myself now.
1: Yeah. That seems fairly realistic. I don't know. Eli. Eli Cash. What a wacky character. I like relate to Eli a little bit, eh? Like he, um... His main issue or problem in the film, like, it's, is substance abuse and drug addiction, which you can see slowly. It's, you know, well done in the film, like, slowly manifesting. Like, at the, I think he's got, like, a massive pipe in one scene and then he's on mescaline in one scene. And then you see him, like, chopping up some coke where they go for the intervention. So, it sort of seems like his drug dependency is getting worse and worse gradually. Mm-hmm. And that scene where um, he's driving Margot and he clearly goes to pick up some drugs I, as a kid, I was like, what's he doing? What does this scene?" <laughs> right? Like I had no idea had no what was idea going,
0: going on. No
1: idea. And we were so naive. Like, like sugar, sugar, it's Eli. Sugar, it's, it's Eli. Sugar, it's Eli. Yeah. And I, I had no fucking clue. And then a couple of years ago, I'm like, I was getting drugs. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I mean, like you can probably make the connection between his substance abuse. And I think probably his upbringing, like with everyone, mm. he clearly is desperate to be a part of the Tenenbaum clan. Um, we see in the prologue, he's looking across the street out the window at their house. True. He's there for, what is it, like most weekends?
0: Mornings before school and most afternoons.
1: Yeah, he's, he's there all the time. It seems like he doesn't come, he's not sort of upper class like them, like, even though he lives across mm. the street in like a ritzy neighbourhood. We see a shot inside his apartment. He lives with his auntie, I think. Um, he's putting mm. away like a fold-out bed and I think he's probably chasing a little bit of that status.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: And he definitely seems to sort of... Be the one character who really revels in the fame that he's got. You see him, you know, with his book readings, like it's played for laughs, of course. But, you know, and it's. And apparently,
0: just... who's modelled off Cormac McCarthy, like the story, which I had, I had no idea. I haven't actually read one of <laughs> Cormac McCarthy's books.
1: But... Oh, you have to. They're so good. I've oh, tried to no. read Blood Meridian. It's so fucking dense. Um, he sort of really wants to be part of that world, I think. And that's yeah. probably com- compensating for something that he didn't have when he was growing up.
0: Yeah. And say? I guess he, he grew up with, like, the Tenenbaums as, like, he obviously idolised them and wanted hmm. what they had, and he didn't have really a family. So, no. you know, in his mind how to get that is to become successful So he becomes famous, but he just wants to be famous. He doesn't do it for the the joy of creating or, you know. Sort
1: of the right reasons. And I think, yeah, the drugs sort of come into that as sort of like filling that hole, which is what drugs do, you know, when you become addicted to stuff. It's to sort of numb yourself or fill, fill a gap in your heart that needs to be filled by something. And drugs takes that spot.
0: Can I ask, um, is that a personal experience that you Yes.
1: Had? Oh, it is. <laughs> I mean, I think you can ask anyone who's had some sort of addiction problems with drugs that, which I've had in the past. It, seem, it seems like Eli takes a whole bunch of stuff depending on the day just to sort of, you know, numb himself or mm-hmm. to sort of, yeah, so definitely self-medicate. Why do you think he takes drugs?
0: I honestly think that he doesn't deal with fame and success and he's trying to be, so desperately be this person that he sees in the Tenenbaums, and it's probably a way of coping with that. Like, he, he wants approval from a family He wants figure. validation, yeah. He wants validation,
1: mm. um,
0: and that can be quite a lonely feeling of inadequacy. So, all of those things would be like a perfect storm for using a substance to, to either numb some of those feelings or, yeah, yeah just calm some of those anxieties. Fill a hole, like
1: you said. Yeah, fill a hole, whatever the hole is. And it's no good. It does not lead to anything good. And I remember watching it when I was a kid. I didn't quite grasp that he was addicted to drugs as a kid, obviously, because I was a bit too young for that.
0: Sam, I just thought he was a funny, quirky yeah, a bit dude. of a
1: weirdo. Just a bit of a wacko. Like, what's he doing on that interview, like, going and wildcat stuff? And I thought and mescaline
0: stuff. was lettuce
1: that you bought at all. Yes, me too. <laughs> I, I thought it was, because Richie is drinking, like, Bloody Mary's, I thought it was something to do with Bloody Mary's. <laughs> like, so did I. <laughs> <laughs> yay! Um... So I used to really laugh at all his sort of, you know, weird quirks and his behavior that gets progressively worse throughout the the movie and stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, But watching it back now after going through, you know, addiction to all kinds of weird drugs, um, I recognize a lot of my behavior in his behavior. Like it is a fairly accurate. I mean, everyone Mm -hmm. goes, you know, experiences addiction differently, but I recognize a lot of my behavior when I was on some like weird shit. To the way that... Can I ask, ask, what
0: does Eli do that resonated with you? Well, just
1: like when Richie goes over to Eli's house and he says he's on mescaline and um, they're just sitting, like Eli's sitting on the couch, Richie's um, standing up and no one's talking to each other.
0: Is that amazing painting in the background?
1: Yeah. Beautiful painting of the dudes on the like quad bikes. Yeah. Um, Out of the blue, Eli says, what'd you say? And... (laughs) Richie says, I didn't say anything. And I've done that before. Like I've thought someone had said something to me because I was on some weird stuff and Mm. it's really sad. It's like one of the saddest things to do because the person you say that to is like, you're not right. Like something is wrong. Mm. And, um, I just recognized past behavior in what Eli was going through and um, not as funny anymore. But Still funny, <laughs> you know, I that makes me think that either Ole Wilson or Wes had been around people who had taken drugs because that is a quite it seems like a realistic, accurate depiction of someone who's on some weird psychedelics where they you know have auditory hallucinations and stuff,
0: and in a very subtle way too, like just mm. like watching it as a kid, we were just like, he's so funny and weird, yeah,
1: he's so like, weird. You know. Well, it's not like requiem for a dream or anything, so he's <laughs> not. <laughs>
0: You know, we wouldn't necessarily recognize that in someone unless we knew that's what happens when someone's coked out or whatever. Yeah. Do you feel that people didn't know that that's what was happening or they were just, like, worried about something else that was going on? Or do you think people Oh, my
1: personal experience. Yeah. Um, I think by the time I started um, randomly it didn't, it just only happened a handful of times. So I was like, every conversation I had, by the time I started um, asking people if they had said something when they clearly hadn't, I, the people around me realized that, yeah, this wasn't normal behavior. Something something else was going on.
0: And did they, do you think they thought it was drugs or do you think
1: yeah, I think, you know, because my behavior had got more erratic. Like, uh, Eli seems quite good at first of hiding his drug mm. drug use until possibly he says that thing to Richie. I got worse and worse at hiding it.
0: It seems like he does too.
1: Yeah, exactly. Because mm. you think, you know, you think you're controlling it and you think the past behavior that got you through it and got you by, the lies that seem to work, you think you can continue doing it and repeat the same behavior, but people cotton on to it over time. But you become a pretty pretty good actor for a bit. But then it just becomes too obvious that you're not the person you used to be.
0: Do you think that you're sort of passing, but then you don't realize that you're not?
1: Yeah, yeah. You think that you're fooling everyone. You think you're just, you almost believe them. I don't know. It's just a mm. really weird mind mindset. But yeah, because it sort of worked in the past or people have sort of given you the benefit of the doubt, you think that you can get away with it the Mm. more fucked up you are but yeah so you believe that you're coming across completely sober and fine and this is just how I am but really you're not you don't look good yeah Mm. I
0: guess it, it kind of culminates for him in driving his car yeah into a wedding
1: yeah well he's obviously taken some whatever the fuck it is um, before this massive social event, which is what I, like I had social anxiety, well I still do, but like I would take drugs to sort of cope with those situations. And it seems like for Eli, it's gotten to that point where he just mm. needs it all the time. And he is like, here I come. <laughs> <And> <laughs> yeah. He's obviously reached the sort of climax of his drug use and mm. he does something so deplorable that mm. it causes him to realize that he's hit rock bottom and needs to change. Hate that term.
0: Hitting rock bottom. I
1: fucking hate rock yeah. bottom. But it's so true. You have to do that. And just did did you-
0: that resonate with you without getting too personal because
1: I am your sister I I never had I mean like I did some stupid stuff there were probably a lot of moments where I should have realized that um, I needed to change but it was more mine was more a slow realization that with the help of like family and friends and stuff that my drug abuse was um, off the charts crazy it wasn't sort of a one isolated incident
0: and it just sort of, you know, we've spoken a lot about a very small character in the movie and even he has a very complex, deep trajectory. Like, yeah. obviously it's pr- quite clear that we really like this movie, but it's just a fucking good movie.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, sort of um, secondary character who doesn't have that many lines has a quite rich backstory and um, you get a really good insight into sort of what makes him tick and you see the, him progressively getting worse. Yeah. It does It does it better than a lot of, you know, Hallmark addiction movies does. Yeah. Like it's sort of,
0: <laughs> that's not hard,
1: though. Yeah, yeah, true. But like a movie that's dedicated to one character, like this movie does better with just a little side character. It's well written. So, it's very true. Can I talk about his, yeah. the intervention bit? Oh, yeah
0: yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Another
1: aspect of Eli's substance abuse that I thought was quite realistic was him sort of lying um, and manipulating the situation to get out of trouble, mm-hmm. like during the intervention scene where Richie and Royal and Pagoda go to um, confront him and say, you have a problem. We need to sort of, you know, get you some help. Eli does all the right things. He says, I realize I have a problem now. I always wanted to be a Tenenbaum, which is kind of manipulative, probably true as well. He says, I'm just going get, to go get my things. And Pagoda points to him and he's like bolting <laughs>
0: out
1: the door to get a cab.
0: There he goes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and he says, skiddly, skiddly, um, <laughs> which is so fucking funny. But that resonated with me because... Like in those moments, you just say anything you can think of to sort of get yourself out of trouble, out of hot water. Um, mm-hmm. You'll lie to people to their face.
0: And I guess he's also high at the time. Like, yeah. Him. Although he hadn't quite snorted the cocaine yet, but maybe uh,
1: he. I reckon he was. Yeah. I reckon he was he fine. would have
0: taken something. So you know, he's not in a rational headspace to go, "Fuck yeah, you're right." Good to know that that resonates with you and that you've fucking lied to me a lot. You can't.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's a long piece of shit. But, like, I don't want to, you know, it's not, you're not yourself. Like, it's not you. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, I mean, it is you, of course, but your brain is, it's getting something that it doesn't get normally and that mm. you really want. It's getting, you feel calm and you feel at peace. And never just, you just want peace. You know what I mean? So, and
0: you just want that feeling all the yeah.
1: time. and that's what's so fucked up about highly addictive drugs is that you've got to take more and more and then you just it ruins your life but i think it stems from inadequacy issues bam do you want to talk about the matriarch of the family ethel the
0: matriarch ethel yeah she just seems to be like the the stable loving but not like over the top mum who just works really hard and, and does Everything for kids. You know, she was constantly somewhat tied to this asshole, and you can't really fold her apart from, I think, like sometimes she seems a bit cold and not very warm at times. Mm. She could maybe, like a man might say, Oh, you could loosen up a bit, love. I would never say that. But if you are still married to someone like Royal, like, I would probably feel that way all the time. Yeah. And, like, Royal even says, you always put them first in you. And she's like, yeah, but maybe I didn't do such a good job. Like, she she doesn't pride herself on being a good mum. She just does it.
1: She's very selfless, isn't she?
0: Yeah. And then, you know, Royal finally lets her go and she gets something she once that she she's never really considered any other people in her life until her, Henry Sherman. So mm. it's it's nice seeing someone who... There wasn't even much time for her to be sad or, or anything. She was just getting on with it. Yeah. So she's probably the most adjusted person in the movie.
1: <laughs> she's an absolute saint. Like, even the scene in the hospital after um, Richie uh, attempts suicide, like, she's just filling out the form. She's just doing that mum thing where she's just... Yeah. No time to be for, you know, sadness or grief, but she's just... You know, doing what she needs to do for her kids.
0: Yeah. I, I, I just realized, I love that line too, when Margot's like, she's been smoking for 22 years. And then Etheline's just like, well, I think you should quit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? She does. Margot quits. Like, she obviously has yeah. a really close relationship with her kids. Yeah. But it's not a, a Hollywood close relationship with her kids. It's got nuance.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It feels right for the whole um, Raw Baums world.
0: Let's finish this very long section with <sighs> Riley Sinclair. Yeah. Because, of course, I have to because he's...
1: He's your boy.
0: Basically a psychologist.
1: He's on the um, list for you, isn't he?
0: Yeah, he's modelled off Oliver Sack's It's kind of funny because he seems like a very stoic... You know, he's probably a bit depressed too. (laughs) But I think Oliver Sacks was very whimsical. Oliver Sacks had such a... He was such a beloved doctor and did so much. And he just was genuinely fascinated by people. I loved, loved, loved the scenes um, of Bill Murray and Dudley. Always. And whenever I do a cognitive assessment with the kids, pretty much every time I think, make yours like mine, (laughs) which you don't actually say in an assessment because it's all very prescriptive.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) Where's that red one going to go? You don't say that.
1: (laughs) I wish you could.
0: And you also aren't allowed to be like, that's so interesting.
1: (laughs) 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 How bizarre.
0: You have to be very neutral. um, Otherwise, it's not really standardized. What a
1: weird setup. Like, he just, it just feels like that kid's been, like, on loan from the parents. Like, he just, he just has him.
0: But I think that's a very American thing. Like, Mm. you know, in the U.S., psychiatrists and psychologists would just have chimpanzees live with them and stuff like that, you know. <laughs> to do s- tests on and like the wolf girl would just be taken in by a psychologist family. Mm. You know, it's not really something you do these days. No. But gosh, I, I really wanna say how how interesting, how bizarre every time I do an assessment, <laughs> but I'm you not can't. allowed to you can't. <laughs> I just wanna like give a little summary of all of my millions of thoughts about the family dynamic in this movie and how it kind of relates to trauma. Because in the household, Ethelene has that unconditional love. Royal is a narcissistic absent father. I think Richie was like the golden child where he was given the praise and adulation from dad. But dad still took advantage of his skills. Hmm. Margot was very misunderstood, probably the most disconnected from Royal because like, there was nothing he really could get out of her. And he just made fun of her achievements. Like it's just a bunch of kids in animal costumes. Yeah.
1: yeah, awful. Awful comment.
0: And then Chaz he just totally stole from and took advantage of his skills. But even though he was such an awful parent, they still want approval because as a child you're still primed to want your mm. parent to love you. Yeah. And like even Richie, when Royal leaves after he throws that match, he's like, I understood. I know you're not very good with disappointment. So like Richie's kind of in the role of the parent for Royal. Mm. Like, yeah. I know that that's bad for you, so I will, I will understand that. Like, he blames himself. And it's interesting that the only person who exposes Royal, who's able to expose Royal as not having cancer, is the only non-tenant in the film which mm. is Henry Sherman. Yeah. And I think that's because even though the kids distrust him and don't really are very wary of him, they still kind of almost don't want to believe that he would be that awful because they still want his approval and love. But I think there's lots of metaphors of healing, like Mordecai.
1: Mordecai. Richie
0: releases Mordecai when, when um, Royal leaves the family and then Mordecai comes back. And then Richie says, Oh, he's got more white feathers on him. Uh, sometimes, if a person has a traumatic experience, their hair grows white. So I think, you know, Mordecai is like the symbol of family and fatherhood yeah, and harmony sure. and coming back from a traumatic experience. So, uh-huh. like, royal
1: uh-huh.
0: reestablishing themselves in the family is like they're able to kind of heal and not completely heal.
1: Changed a little bit.
0: But yeah, just be back on their trajectory of hmm. getting on with life, like Margot. Starts writing plays again, even though it's not particularly great. Richie starts coaching tennis. Yeah. Chaz starts spending time with his dad. Eli goes into rehab. And I guess in the beginning of the film, they're all very separate and away from each other. And then at the end of the film, they're all together. Even if they're doing different things, but they're sort of around each other. But it's funny. Apparently, (laughs) the bird used for Mordecai was caught by a citizen of New Jersey when they were filming
1: Held and hostage.
0: It was held hostage and demanded a price for its return. And they're like, fuck you. <laughs> yeah. We'll just get another one. So they replaced the bird with um, someone who was more white in colour. So they must have written that bit into the film. Yeah. But not realising it would be very... Very powerful. (laughs) Imagine if he wasn't
1: kidnapped, then we wouldn't have this beautiful metaphor about changing feathers.
0: They'd have
1: to paint them on him or something. Yes. Apparently, they painted the dots on the on the mice, the Dalmatian mice, with a
0: sharpie. Yeah, with a sharpie.
1: (laughs) Which has gone down in Hollywood folklore. Which is maybe some
0: animal cruelty
1: there. Apparently, they got a pass from like the Animal Cruelty of America Association. They got the tick.
0: Well, that that makes me feel better.
1: (laughs) It's all good. Put your sharpie on your mice. So as I was watching the movie, I uh, wondered um, how much can we actually blame Royal for his children's problems because they seem, I guess, career-wise and success-wise cope pretty well despite his sort of borderline abusive behavior. They have pretty good careers, a lot of success, and things sort of fall apart, not in direct relation to anything Royal does directly to them. But um, uh, what are your thoughts on that? Because I feel like you'll have some interesting insights.
0: It's a good question, and I think you're right to query it, because no one is responsible solely for somebody else. But I do think that we can blame him, (laughs) because he's a shithead. No. Yeah. Because, like, luckily for the family, they had an unconditional love source from Ethylene, which was a buffer for like the problems and led to their success. But despite that, like it's very important to have at least one good caregiver, good as in like good enough, but also research has shown over and over and over again that being abandoned by a parent or having a narcissistic parent like like Royal Mm. can create quite lasting impacts on a child's worldview and their self-esteem and their social, emotional development, resilience. It's definitely not the sole cause of, What's gone on in their lives, but definitely a huge one. It doesn't mean they can't overcome those problems, but um, even though it's not directly responsible for, say, Richie having a bad match. Yeah, if he wasn't abandoned by dad, he may not be like needing his sister to fill a hole. The hole may not have been
1: there. Do you know what I mean? Or think the solution is to throw a match and have a big meltdown in front of? The whole world, like he'd, yeah, he'd, co- he'd cope with it in a different way.
0: And like all the kids are sort of in that arrested development.
1: Arrested development. Arrested yes. development.
0: Yes. <laughs> so they all haven't really got coping skills. You know, Ethel probably tried her best, but then they, they only had it all falling on her shoulders. And also, she wears the same outfits as well all through the film. <laughs> so. <Yeah. laughs> I feel like their development has been stunted, but they've managed to succeed despite it, as you said. So yeah, there's a few uh, articles that talk about that specifically. Um, I'll just quote one. The dissolve (laughs) one? got so many quotes. (laughs) Like one person asked that they're talking about the film in this article. Scott, are we putting too much on Royal here as the catalyst for the family's decline? In terms of the children's achievements, Royal's departure does nothing to stop them from succeeding. After he announces his separation... Chaz, Ritchie, and Margot still thrive in their individual disciplines, and it isn't until later, when adulthood can no longer sustain their precociousness, what does that, mean? that the tenon bounds fall off the ledge. What does precociousness mean?
1: Like, adulthood can no longer sustain their precociousness. I don't know what that means.
0: Like, they can't just kind of do what they want anymore, sort of thing.
1: Yeah, okay, true. I get you. Yeah.
0: Royal's get greatest sin in this regard is not being there when they fall. We can see that Richie's dramatic on-court now done is motivated by Margot marrying Riley Sinclair, but we also learn later that Royal disappeared from Richie's life after the match. I say their failures are all but inevitable. How often do accomplished children in the media spotlight segue into success as adults too? But Royal left them that much more emotionally ill-equipped to deal with the aftermath.
1: Beautiful sentiments from Scott. That's
0: so fucking true.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: They don't have resilience.
1: I was just playing devil's advocate with the question. I wasn't saying that's what I think. I was just putting it out there for some discussion.
0: And luckily for you, I already thought about the answer before you even asked it. I didn't yeah. even know you were going to ask it.
1: Oh, we, we must be we. fucking related or something. <laughs>
0: All right, let's move on to stereotypes.
1: Stereotypes, baby.
0: What kind of stereotypes are in this film?
1: I mean, it's not like... The whole movie isn't full of a bunch of sort of very obvious stereotypes, but there are definitely some, for sure.
0: Well, I kind of feel like it's almost a movie that subverts stereotypes because it's so... Considering the subject matter when we read out the plot, Mm. like, it's not what you would expect.
1: No, not at all. Pre...
0: Where's Anderson becoming popular and then Mm. a bunch of filmmakers copying his style? Yeah. Like this was one of the first indie movies that started that kind of trend. So I don't think it was stereotypical at the time, which is why I think it's so good. Because it's not obviously a a mental illness movie or anything. But when watching it now, it it might seem more stereotypical. Yeah,
1: because it influenced so much stuff. Yeah. And it's the victim of his own success really was, wasn't he? So many imitators after this film.
0: It's true, um, he almost is becoming a bit of a caricature of himself too. I have. Yeah. he's got a new movie coming out. I'm sure I will love it.
1: Oh, it looks queer as fuck, doesn't it? I mean, it's going to be great, but it looks so finessed and so.
0: You so know. it's like he can't. He can't impress us. Like, because so many people have copied his style, it's like, oh no, instead of being like, oh, it's still great.
1: (laughs) Yeah, he's just sort of going in deeper and deeper into it. That's why I think Royal Arms is the perfect Wes film, because it's got a bit of that early realism and a bit of this sort of dollhouse, symmetrical aesthetic, but Mm. it's sort of a nice midpoint. It's still a bit realistic and raw, but also very... Um, composed and stylistic. That's not stereotypes at all.
0: (laughs) But it doesn't take itself too seriously, but it also has seriousness behind it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So Margot.
0: Yeah. She's definitely got that beautiful, sad girl trope where like, you know, you have to crack into her and she's, she's sort of that mysterious depressed girl, which we kind of talked about a bit in Virgin Suicides, Mm. but she's less attractive to me. Like, I mean, I'm straight. But
1: <laughs> Are you sure? I
0: didn't want to be her. Yeah. Probably because she smoked and I thought smoking was gross, but yeah.
1: It makes smoking look so enticing to me. Yeah. Like the little like, you know, exotic packs that when she pulls up the brick and she, they're in a little plastic bag and she's lights too for her and Richie, it just looks so fucking delicious, even though they're quite disgusting. She does
0: everything with such purpose and like mm. elegance but not too much energy, like just enough energy.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And it's that stereotype, like the sad, tragic girl who knows more than ever. She sort of has some sort of insider knowledge. that She's
0: wise beyond her years. Yeah.
1: She has a sort of clue that no one else has. Like maybe that's sort of how she feels about herself in relation to the world, but it's that bullshit stereotype a little bit.
0: Mm, I feel like there's a lot of adolescent, like teenage movies with that kind of character in it. And they're always like actually a messed up girl.
1: Because I guess that's how you feel when you're growing up. Like, you know, you have the secrets of the world, no one gets you and you know all the the answers kind of thing.
0: (laughs) No one understands me. I'm a teenage girl.
1: But yeah, she, I don't really have anything to back this up, but she seems like, I think Wes Anderson's very influenced by the French New Wave cinema. Um, oh yeah. She seems like one of those sexy, sad...
0: Well, I do have...
1: Can I finish my fucking scent? Yes. Um, she, <laughs> no, it's all right. um, Yeah, she just seems like one of those, you know, French New Wave sad characters, smoking a cigarette, no smiling, very serious, very sad. And
0: very like, simply dressed. A It's very dark makeup.
1: Yeah. From the couple of French New Wave films I've seen.
0: Well, I read that she yeah. was kind of modelled off Nico.
1: There you go. So, a French New Wave actress.
0: Yes, and
1: singer. <laughs> <laughs> was she French? Was Nico French?
0: Was she French or was she German?
1: Oh, I thought she was German, actually.
0: Yeah, because she was a Nazi. Was she... <laughs> She is. She's a Nazi. I
1: didn't know she was a Nazi. What was Lou Reed doing hanging around with a Nazi? Yeah, she's
0: German.
1: She's German. (laughs) I mean, it's that European vibe, that sort of fatalistic, femme fatale kind. Femme fatale, yeah, that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, exactly. A song sung by Nico. (laughs) There you go.
1: God. This is just coming. Yep.
0: I do think, though, like, Margaret isn't a manic pixie train girl because we do know about her past and she doesn't end up saving the man. Um, and she's
1: not an annoying, she doesn't rabbit on and she's not full of energy and she doesn't like the Smiths. She's
0: not like, listen to this song, it's going to change your life. Yeah yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. But what do you think, as a man, <laughs> like, when you see that montage of her, I think we're supposed to be like, oh, she's a slut. Yeah. Uh, I just think that's maybe it. A bad stereotype that, like, oh, she's secretly promiscuous and that's bad.
1: Yeah, well, like, I think my impression of that scene, sort of growing up, was that she's a sexual being and she's making out with all these random people. And I think the implication, well, what I took from it is she's supposed to be seen as a bit of a slut, like quite promiscuous, Mm. which I think is not a very helpful stereotype. But watching it now, I'm like, she's just... It's like the smoking. It's just something she does. Yeah. A bit of bit of ownership, a bit of, you know.
0: Well, in the movie, she's what, like 30... 30-something. 30 mid-30s or something. Mm. So, like, I, I've got a very boring life that some people don't. So
1: <laughs> I don't... I'm not sure if he was intending the scene to give the impression that she's promiscuous.
0: But the men's response to that, obviously, Raleigh is upset that she's ch- cheated on him. But also, like... They don't know her past. Yeah, and they find out that there's lots of Dick and Fanny involved in it. <laughs> Dick and
1: Fanny, yeah, yeah, and they 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 can't handle it. Yeah,
0: what is she not allowed to have? That
1: like, no, yeah, I know, I agree, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, then maybe yeah, the scene is designed to sort of give the impression that
0: slightly problematic
1: slightly, They'll put that in a slightly problematic basket. And also, it's very creepy that uh, her husband and her brother hire a detective. Yes. To spy on her. Like, if she found out about that after her and Richie formed a relationship or whatever happened at the end, like, I don't think she'd be very happy with that.
0: No, I probably wouldn't if I were her. It's very <laughs> intrusive.
1: What about if Michael hired a detective to follow you around and, and record your conversation? <laughs> I'd
0: be in the same room as him. Well. <laughs>
1: Through. He could just jot down everything you say.
0: It's like the scene in the Keeping Up with the Kardashians where Kris uh, Jenner hires someone to just write down what happened.
1: Really? Yeah,
0: that's what it would be like.
1: I missed that episode. My viewpoint watching that scene when I was younger was like, She's fucked around a lot. She has this sort of hidden past. She is a bit of a, maybe a, I don't like saying slut, but you know, that's sort of the impression that they're trying to give. But watching it now, they I'm just like... Her. slut shame her. They mm. slut shame her. But watching it now, I'm like, well, she's just had a very, you know, colorful, exciting life mm. and some good sexual experiences. And the characters don't like it or, you know, react negatively to it, but I'm all for it. Go for it.
0: And I wonder, you know, like they show her marrying the Jamaican yeah. guy... And then she's making out with someone of some unknown tribal culture, and I think we're supposed to think, "Oh,
1: like." Yeah, true. She
0: she has all types, which is kind of racist <laughs> to be like portraying it that way. Like, I, that's I, we're supposed to be like shocked. I think. Yeah. Well, the, the men are supposed to be shocked by it, like so. Just should it be a thing?
1: Mm. Yeah, she went to Jamaica. She mm. she fucked some dudes.
0: The bigger, more problematic stereotype is Dudley, I think.
1: Oh, Dudley. Oh, this is your this is your battle to fight. Yes. Tell us.
0: Like, he's played for laughs. He's a very odd, quirky character who's dressed very, like, geekily. Like, he looks quite ridiculous. But, like, to be fair, everyone in this movie looks ridiculous. But we're supposed to laugh at him. And I fucking laughed my ass off at him.
1: Do you still laugh now? well you can say yes
0: yes (laughs) like whenever they say ask can the boy tell time oh god oh no no. no. that's too funny
1: (laughs) but Dudley has agency there he answers the question
0: he does but he someone with a neurological condition that might have some similarities to what he's described as having would probably be a bit we find that a bit stereotypical and a bit um bit offensive, maybe.
1: Yeah. bit disrespectful. No, you're right there.
0: He's obviously a huge caricature. Like, he, I don't think we're supposed to take him seriously. But, yeah, he's got a made-up disorder. So, it's not like he's, he is portraying anyone specifically.
1: But but do you think that's kind of worse? Like, by making it like a made-up disorder, it generalizes it to sort of encompass all sort of neurological disorders. Like, he can be a placeholder for anything, you know, any dude that, that's
0: true that
1: looks like that. You know, it's sort of yeah. it's kind of making fun of a bit of all oh, people who are like that.
0: Yeah, any dude who has like atypical social behaviours who's mm, yeah. he's a bit of a geek is someone to be laughed at and paraded around by Bill Murray, which well, yeah it would be pretty fucking highly offensive to be honest. Yeah. If, you know, if he was going to make this movie today, I'd hope that he just gets rid of Dudley, even though I, I do love him.
1: <laughs> Kill him off, get rid of him. Get rid of Dudley. Yeah, he's like, he's a sweet little character, but it is sort of making fun of at his expense.
0: Yeah, like he's just there as a bit of comic relief, really. Although he does present Eli with his shoe, he's helpful in some way.
1: I love that bit. Yeah. <laughs> Very helpful.
0: I guess he brings a little bit of humanity to Raleigh as he
1: well. He does. I think probably when he was right, Wes was writing the script, he was like, we need Raleigh to have some kind of...
0: Connection. Interest or and some kind yeah, of acti-
1: yeah. yeah, something to do. And just happened to be a sort of stereotypical... Stereotypical, atypical boy.
0: Boy. <laughs> 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 One thing is this movie's very... It's not hundred percent white, but it's about white people problems. Oh, you wrote this wealthy whitey talking about problems and daddy issues. (laughs) Those your words? They were my words. Yeah. But it's yeah, it is true. It's a very like worried well
1: movie. It is a very white people. I mean, you know, there's Henry Sherman. He's black. There's uh, Pagoda. He is maybe a problematic character, but he's lovely. But, you know, the themes are universal, I think. You know, family issues, sibling rivalry, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. So...
0: It is very much centred on the white characters. Like, Henry hmm. Sherman doesn't really, like, evolve. He's just... No, it's just of He's just great he sort of old yeah. Henry. And Pagoda. <laughs> he is a stereotype, though, right?
1: Well, I assume so. I don't really know. But, yeah, he does seem very stereotypical. Yeah, Pagoda's a massive stereotype.
0: And Wes does like a good, like... East Asian uh, Indian stereotype, like everyone's driving around in gypsy cabs, um, mm. which in itself is a, is a racist term. Yeah. Um, it kind of fetishizes him a little bit, like the way he talks and the way he dresses. And when Henry goes into his room, it's all very like set up like he's in India.
1: Yeah. There's even like sitar music playing too as he walks
0: yeah, up Yeah. Yeah. And I was obsessed with Pagoda. I loved him so much. And he's a, he's a gorgeous man.
1: Maybe um, still alive.
0: And that seems to be a bit of a theme for where he gets a bit of a flap for some cultural insensitivity at times. But you do mention that he stabs Royal twice. so
1: Yeah, he's got <laughs> fucking agency.
0: It's not like he's treated badly no. <laughs> in the movie.
1: He was a, an, an assassin hired to kill Roy, right? So.
0: And then he sent him, and he took him to the hospital.
1: <laughs> yeah, and he does it again, and he tends to his wounds. So it's a it's a mix.
0: Yeah.
1: Stereotypical, but we're not sort of laughing at him, I don't think.
0: I don't think. A so. little
1: bit, but it's not. It doesn't seem uh, malicious.
0: It's not malicious, but no. um, it it probably isn't going to date as Too well, as no. It, it already doesn't date super well.
1: And that stereotype.
0: So let's end stereotypes there and talk about whether we think it's helpful Mm. or harmful Mm -hmm. to wrap this baby up.
1: I'm excited about this section.
0: What's most helpful about the movie to you?
1: I really like its depiction of mental illness and addiction and childhood neglect without Mm. sort of like shoving it down your throat. feels like organic to the plot. It doesn't feel like a, a message movie where it's sort of this is about addiction, you know, Requiem for a Dream. This is about someone who's depressed it just feels sort of organic to the characters
0: yeah it's like we're in Wes Anderson's world and that's always like a particular type of world Hmm. and it's kind of an enjoyable quirky movie but within that is a mental illness kind of movie like it's not a mental illness movie but it is yeah and it's the way he sort of brings the story out makes it much more accessible
1: yeah exactly Um, I had notes here saying that, you know, movies that are about sort of bad parenting or parental abuse often like deal with extremes. Like the mum is abusive of the son and he turns out to be like a serial killer or the Mm. parents ignore the daughter and she has magical powers, like in Matilda. Like
0: (laughs) Matilda! Like,
1: absolute bullshit.
0: Which we will cover.
1: Yeah, you have to cover Matilda, but it is so unrealistic. You know, this is kind of a story that I think a lot of people can relate to. Everyone sort of has issues with their parents, you know, one way or the other, no matter if they're sort of great parents or bad parents or in the middle. Um, So this deals with a very common human experience in a very accessible way. It's not sort of these extremes... These unrealistic sort of um, things. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like
0: the, the over dramatic sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it is, it's not necessarily realistic because it's so fantastical yeah. and everything is so. Um, pastel,
1: Exaggerate.
0: yeah. <laughs> All the characters are very flawed, but you also are rooting for them. Like Royal is very enjoyable <laughs> as a, as a character. Yeah, but he's also a prick. He's a prick. So he's
1: human. There's no real villains in the in the movie. You know, everyone's very human, very relatable, and. On their own journey there's no sort of bad guy
0: um i have a quote here that kind of summarizes what we we're saying which is it's from an article called the psychology of failure the royal Tenenbaums' melancholy and growing pains And it says, in quintessential Wes Anderson style, zany plot developments and memorable character design overlie a persistent sense of despair which eventually advances into a type of catharsis. His chaotic, sentimental method of storytelling portrays dysfunction and depression in a way that reminds us of the power of trauma and the ease with which the eccentricity of these characters masks their pain. Their humanity is clearly evident, and as we watch the film, we feel along with them. But keep in mind that you are only a visitor, and once the story ends... With it closes the little window that these characters have allowed you to quietly watch them through. I think if I was really good at speaking, that's what I would be you're, saying right now. But
1: you're great at speaking. <laughs> it
0: summarizes it well.
1: It does, yes. I don't know about the end bit about like letting us us being, you know, allowed a glimpse into their lives, but that's like every movie really. But um I get I get what True. Th- <laughs> I get what it's trying to say, for sure. For sure.
0: Yeah, actually, well, now that you say that last bit is a little bit wanky. <laughs> it's a bit
1: like, okay, <laughs> but, but the rest of it I agree with.
0: Keep in mind yeah you don't get to hang out with these people outside of the movies two hours yeah we know. that's all you get
1: <laughs> yeah you know it depicts depression and uh, substance abuse but it's sort of it's quite hopeful in the end like they all sort of come through it like they're not they haven't overcome everything all obstacles that are in their way but they seem to be on the right path so I think it's quite a hopeful message that it gives maybe it's a bit yeah a bit sweet and saccharine but
0: but it's not it's not too sweet and saccharine no. I mean, because it's not. I think that one of the really helpful things, as well is that you see them start to heal, but they don't, they're not different people. They're still no. the same people. Yeah. They look exactly the um,
1: same in the funeral scene for sure. Yeah.
0: Chaz uh, and his sons are still wearing yeah. uh, Nike sweats. They're just black. Adidas.
1: <laughs> Adidas. <laughs> sorry.
0: Sorry. Adidas. <laughs> Product
1: placement.
0: And like, it's not a happy ending. Royal dies. Yeah.
1: Royal but dies like, and they're at a funeral. <laughs> it's,
0: not, but, it's not the most happy ending. But like you know, it's not like they get the girl in the end or anything like that. Although you th- you think that Richie and Margot do get together, well, but I'm pretty sure I they don't. I have my
1: conspiracy theory, yeah. But
0: it's 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 not like tying up all the loose ends. And like, if you have mental illness, then you get better and then you're fixed and then it's over. Like exactly, it's yeah. Like
1: it's not some they, bullshit yeah, Hollywood ending. On the
0: right track, yeah. Mm. But there's still a long way to go. You yeah. get that sense that they still have their issues, but they're just moving yeah. along a good path.
1: Yeah, there's still some a lot of shit going on behind the scenes, but they're better than they were at the start of the film. Yeah.
0: And I think that's a ho- hopeful message that might come across is like, even if you've experienced some pretty shitty family life, even if you're in your 30s or whatever, you can make some changes that are helpful. But like... It's not preaching a false, like...
1: A false outcome or anything. A
0: false outcome. Yeah. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. I mean, maybe Royals overcoming NPD is a little bit pat and a little bit... um...
0: (laughs) That is true. (laughs) That's not quite how it goes.
1: You know, no one goes to therapy or we don't see them go to therapy. Maybe we assume they they do, but...
0: They don't go to therapy. But, I mean, I don't think that was necessary in this film. Because it's not supposed to be a realistic film.
1: Yeah. I mean, look at it. It's... It's a fantasy film. It's a fantasy world. And these larger-than-life characters who wear the same uniform every day since they were kids. So it's, you know, a made-up, bizarro world. So we don't have to see them go to therapy and talk about their feelings. It it
0: doesn't matter as much as previous films we've called, like Tully, where it's like we're trying to tell everybody about postpartum depression. It's not trying to tell you anything. So he gets away with it. This isn't
1: grounded in realism, so we don't have to see them go to therapy or take meds or whatever they they do.
0: Although, having said that, Eli does go to rehab.
1: He does, yeah. That's the one character who you see go to some professional help.
0: Yeah. And I think it's also helpful, even though we have said that managing NPD, narcissistic personality disorder, uh, in this movie, it's not as realistic as just, oh, I think I love my kids now. I think I'm going to be a better father. But it is a nice sort of example of how to try and help your family heal if you've been really shit to them in Mm. the past. Like, he he kind of figures out what his kids need and how to give them that. Sometimes he gets it wrong, like like you said, like taking Margot to an ice cream shop, like she's a little girl. But how he sort of connects with all the kids in the end is figuring out where he is actually needed. So, like, Mm. Richie... He needs him to go along to, to try and give Eli help. And he's just there. He doesn't do anything in particular. He's just there for him. And just then he recognizes... Support, yeah. Yeah. And then when Chaz's kids are almost out, he obviously gets them out of the way. But then mm. uh, when there's this dog, he's like, oh, well, they need a new dog now. So I will yeah. give them this dog. Like he doesn't force himself upon them, which mm. is what he was trying to do initially. And he kind of realized I can't do it that yeah, way. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. Everything he does for this kids doesn't feel out of character for sort of what Royal would do. It's not this crazy. That's
0: true too. 180
1: yeah. degree, you know, over the top thing. It's like he Gets a dog, he's just there to support Richie. Like it it feels true to the character. Yeah. But it's these little gestures, which are what his children need in at the moment, at the time.
0: So, you know, narcissistic parents, take note if you would like to rebuild Yeah, listen up.
1: Watch this movie.
0: What was harmful about this movie?
1: Nothing. It's a hundred percent the most perfect film ever made. <laughs>
0: Except we haven't really talked about the fact that there's some incest in the movie.
1: Yeah, incest is quite glossed over. Like, even when I'm reading reviews, they're just like, and Richie's in love with his adopted sister, Margot. And it's just sort of like, oh, okay, cool. Everyone accepts it. And,
0: and like, they are adopted, but it's not like in Clueless where they were only adopted siblings for a very short period of time. Yeah. Richie and Margot grew up together as siblings. They
1: grew up together, yeah.
0: So it... It is incest to me.
1: Yeah, I mean, the the adopted sort of distinction is quite, it's a bit of a red herring. Like you said before, he clings to that. He always says, adopted, adopted. But they grew up as brother and sister. So it's a bit fucked up. But love's love, you know? Love's love. Who am I to get in the way of love? Who are you to get in the way of love, Steph?
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, there's a reason why siblings aren't supposed to fuck.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's the reason?
0: You're not supposed. You're just not
1: supposed. <laughs> sounds like I'm like pro incest right it now. Does sound I'm definitely like you not. Are. <laughs> I just love this movie so much.
0: It's, a, it's just a little bit weird that he is fascinated by siblings in love because, like, he did say he, he based it off, um, I think, Les Enfants Terribles or something.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, mm. he, he had a friend growing up that was in, said he was in love with his sister. And that was oh. always stuck with him, which is what I read. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. He always had a fascination with that, which is kind of weird. Where's...
0: And he has siblings, so that's weird. Mm.
1: Two boys, <laughs> two brothers.
0: <laughs> and he, originally they were supposed to be biological yeah. siblings, but they he changed it to adopted, which Thank is God. probably good. Yeah.
1: I, I like the movie better as adopted. I don't think I'd be fully behind it if they were biological siblings.
0: Nah, It freaked me nah. out a bit. And no one would like it as much, I think. I don't think it would be it would have been as popular. No. I think people would have been outraged.
1: I think it again goes back to this sort of like European, sexy, sex is sex, cigarettes, makeup. Yeah. I wanna fuck everyone, I can sleep with my doctor You know, that sort of <laughs> you know, it seems very French. I
0: think that's what he I think France that's what he likes kind
1: of thing about it too. Yeah. That's I think that's what that gets him off. I'm not saying it's that makes yeah. it right or wrong, but it just <laughs> I think he just has a you know, a preoccupation with that kind of stuff. It feels right for him yeah, to write he a, has. A, a script. Um it doesn't make it helpful or harmful. Well it kind of makes it a bit harmful. But no one has watched this movie and is like, well oh, actually, I have latent sexual feelings for my sibling.
0: You don't know that. Maybe they have.
1: Listeners out there, if you have, let us know.
0: Did you think the suicide attempt scene was glorifying?
1: Not really. I mean, I remember once again, I'll say a sentence. When I was a kid and I watched this movie, I would sometimes put that scene on. Not watch the rest of the movie and just watch that scene. But I think, which sounds a bit fucked up. it <laughs> does I think, sound
0: a bit worrying.
1: <laughs> no, it, I had no <laughs> suicidal tendencies, really, at that age. And it's, I think, just the power of it. I think the music, Needle in the Hay... The visuals, the emotional sort of climax of the movie. It just really it was one of those scenes, you know, you sort of I don't know, I do this, I watch scenes over and over again sometimes that really affect me. So I watched that scene a lot. Yeah. But um it's not like I enjoyed it. It was just so emotional, such a sort of bit of a I don't know, dopamine hit, a bit of a rush. <laughs> that sounds really bad. Um <laughs> it, <makes laughs> it, feel good. It, it wasn't like torture porn, I don't know. It, it didn't make me feel good. It was just I don't know. I
0: guess it's it's a very beautifully crap affecting, uh, yeah, powerfully crafted piece. Of cinema,
1: it is. I, I don't. I don't think it. I don't think it um, glorifies. It. I
0: don't think it does because it's it's so raw. And and I've mentioned this in a previous episode, but um, like it's not like in Thirteen Reasons Why where it all seems very carefully planned and there's Ultravox um, playing in the background, Vienna, and and she's like lying in the bath and it's 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 very slow and. And you're meant to be like, oh, um, and it's 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 too much. It, this is just like quite sudden and not mm. unexpected. Yeah, and it comes when he out says, of nowhere, "I'm going to kill yeah. myself tomorrow," and then suddenly he's cutting his arms and the blood, yeah. and, and you're just like, "Shit, <laughs> like, what is happening?" And it gets really intense. So I, I don't. It to me, it doesn't glorify it. But I don't know what it would be like watching it in a state where you are really suicidal. So I guess. We we can we're only speaking about it from not being in that um, headspace. If you mm. were suicidal, it could actually think, be quite triggering.
1: Do you think if you're in that headspace, which you know I've been in the past, do you think anything you watch, which has a hint or a suggestion of suicide, might sort of trigger you to?
0: Yeah, to, you which know, is like
1: it's a it's a it's a tricky one.
0: It is, and uh, which is why we have content warnings more so these mm-hmm. days, including mm-hmm. in this podcast. And Royal Tenenbaums does not have that oh. <laughs> when you watch it. Well, it's not on my DVD, but yeah, I, you know, I don't. It's not a movie about a suicide. It's just yeah, it's something that makes sense for the character to do at the time. And you could say that maybe it was helpful that he it, it triggered his family to get back together, and he and Margot confess their love for each other, but they don't get together. They don't get together, Nick.
1: (laughs) All right. All right. We'll go with that. With that theory.
0: Um, Maybe it could be seen that way. But I think um, not as harmful as other depictions that we've already mentioned. And also, like, I made an impact on people because I suicided.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you see, I think it's helpful. You see sort of the, the toll it takes on the family. You see sort of the devastation. I mean, it's kind of funny when Chaz is like, "Did you write a suicide note?" Like that's a that's a very was Chaz. Was it dark? <laughs> <laughs> of course it's dark. It's a suicide <laughs> note. That's a very Chaz thing yeah. to say. But um, everyone seems quite devastated. So I think it shows you, oh, in a realistic way, how a family would react to someone attempting suicide. Yeah,
0: and like seeing the the scars on his arms yeah. and stuff it looks looks quite shocking. Yeah, so it was I quite a shock. I remember be... seeing
1: that scene. It was like, oh shit! Like you know. Yeah. That would have hurt.
0: So, you know, maybe some people could be affected by this, but I think it is on the side of not harmful. Not helpful, but not harmful.
1: It's a neutral scene. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah. No.
0: Powerful, but not harmful. Anything else you think might be harmful about this movie? Nicholas?
1: Oh, I read some article saying that there's a bit of a sexist portrayal of women in the film. they only basically sum- summarising this big rant the females in the film only serve to advance the male's plot and character development.
0: Oh. I mean, I can see maybe Ethelene, but what about Margot?
1: Margot... Well, it's sort of... I think they're Grasping at Straws, where Richie's sort of development is because of Margot's sexual past. And... True. But true, true, true. I think she has as rich a character development and story as Richie. Maybe Richie, he's the centre of the film. But I, I don't agree that she only exists to sort of further his plot.
0: Yeah, I don't I don't believe that at all. She's got her own agency and her own story in the film.
1: I don't think she exists solely to further Richie. So fuck this article.
0: <laughs> I do dislike how like we've we may have already touched on this like when she is seen with lots of men, that's supposed to be seen as a bad thing. And, you know, the men are kind of...
1: Male gays.
0: Yeah, there's a bit of male gaze going on in there for sure. And, like, spying on Margot and the fact that they get mm. an investigator to stalk her. I'm sure, you know, what if Richie or Raleigh slept with other women? I'm sure, mm. like, she wouldn't go and... I mean, she doesn't really care about rally, but you know she's not <laughs> she going to go and hire a private investigator to look look into that so it's a bit shitty male behavior within the film
1: yeah it's something that's sort of glossed over as sort of just uh, sort of an afterthought oh they hired a detective of course because at, at that point in the film so much sort of crazy shit has gone on that I know it it's like of course a, <laughs> of course there's a private detective
0: and he's such a caricature too he's got a big cigar
1: straight out of like a cartoon <laughs> Um, But it works. Gentlemen. Oh, it works. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's within the world of Wes, but, you know, it's pretty sexist within itself. Yeah, it is. I I, I do agree with that.
1: The same article, I think, was talking about... or maybe the, the, the thesis I read was talking about this Ethel exists for uh, Royal to sort of grow by granting her a divorce that he sort of held hostage over her for seven years or whatever it was. Mm. But once again, I think she still has... This this thing pointed out her growth is that she gets married in the film. Basically, that's her arc. Um,
0: mm, yeah, I guess it's not very feminist. <laughs> but...
1: You know, she's such a wonderful... I really... I think she's a great character. Like, I don't...
0: I, like, she's the matriarch, and it's in a conservative marriage, and she pretty much runs the household. So, given Royal's a pretty misogynistic, narcissistic dude, like, it all makes sense that... She would hold
1: the pieces together and be the sort of...
0: Yeah, and not really do anything for herself until someone asks to marry her.
1: So, I I think that's sort of, Mm. you know, stretching it a little bit, grasping for some kind of criticism, but that was just what I read, so there you Mm. go.
0: I can't think of any other harmful thing in the movie. I think it's pretty helpful.
1: It makes smoking look pretty sexy, yeah.
0: Going through our final kind of scores.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um,
0: firstly, lived experience. I think there's quite a bit of lived experience. Yeah, it seems to be. There, yeah. More so than other things that we've
1: reviewed. Yeah, I agree with you there.
0: Yeah, and, and sometimes quite close to home, particularly Owen, being the one who wrote this movie. So, I think it gets a point for that.
1: I agree. I concur.
0: Um, accuracy... I guess it's it's a hard one to rate for this movie because it's so fantastical the way it's made. But mm. I don't know. It probably only gets half a point because people don't really interact in the way they do in this movie.
1: Oh, no. Yeah. No one in real life acts like this movie. Maybe three-eighths or something, Steph, you know? <laughs> just, just below a half. Fuck off.
0: Um, <laughs> but I do think it's an accurate-ish... Demonstration of how that sort of childhood neglect and abandonment would impact a family who are successful.
1: Yeah, I mean, for all its sort of weird wackiness, it it does seem relatively accurate in some of its portrayals of of this shit, like, weirdly enough. So what do you give it?
0: A half?
1: Half point.
0: (laughs) Stereotypes you know it's got less stereotypes than most movies we do and the stereotypes that they do have are like in a wes anderson world so it kind of that he kind of gets a pass
1: for yeah, it yeah what about a half we give another half. another half yeah, another, another half. half and more helpful than helpful i think, think it is I, I think it deserves a whole point for for helpful
0: i think in the way that so many people watch this movie when they're young love it and it secretly inserts some helpful, hopeful stuff about their Yeah, a bit inception
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, inception yep, that seed. Yes.
0: So that kind of means it's like three out of four, which is pretty good.
1: That's pretty fucking good. Possibly the best pretty one ever made. Good. Don't you reckon? Don't you agree with
0: <laughs> I think everyone can agree. And if you don't like this movie, well, then.
1: Fucking you can unsubscribe. Fuck off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Steph's joking. She loves you. Nah, all. nah,
0: it's not for everyone. It's fine. Thank you so much, Nick, Thank for coming. Thank you for having
1: me. It's been an absolute pleasure.
0: Bye. This podcast is not designed to be therapeutic, prescriptive, or constitute a formal diagnosis for any listener. For a longer version of this disclaimer, please visit the episode notes on your podcast app. Hang on. And. Oh, God. You right? Oh shit. (laughs) No. I've just got a spinning wheel.